So we are reading Proverbs 31, 1 through 9. The sayings of King Lemuel, as inspired, an inspired utterance his mother taught him. Listen, my son, listen, son of my womb, listen, my son, the answer to my prayers. Do not spend your strength on women, your vigor on those who ruin kings. It is not for kings, Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine, nor for rulers to crave beer, lest they drink and forget what has been decreed, and deprive all the oppressed of their rights. Let beer be for those who are perishing, wine for those who are in anguish. Let them drink and forget their poverty, and remember their misery no more. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and the needy. The word of the Lord. All right, so we are continuing our series in Proverbs this week, and we will um, finish up Proverbs chapter 31 next week. But first, let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for our time together as a congregation in Proverbs chapter 31. Would we all hear from you? Would we all uh, hear you speaking to us through your scriptures, through my words? Uh, and would we walk away changed and have something that we can apply to our lives, but also just be more amazed by who you are and your goodness to us. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Alan can't for the life of him see why God still has him in this organization. It's a cold place, this big bank. And he's been thinking about leaving for a while. He's brought, been brought into a team that's being led by a much younger man who right now needs an older leader to steady the ship. Alan is that older leader. There are 130 in the team. Their profitability is plummeting, and their employee engagement numbers are plummeting faster than their profitability. And apart from that, their technology belongs in a museum. These are the first words of a true story. This true story comes from Mark Green. Uh, he's related with the Frontline Ministry. Uh, it comes from his little book, The One About, Eight Stories About God in Our Everyday. This is in our church library if you want to check it out. But I'm going to share this little story with you today as we go through the sermon because I think it beautifully illustrates some of the points that we're talking about from Proverbs 31 and leadership. Now, Proverbs 31, 1 through 9, is about a king, a wise king named Lemuel. Now, some think Lemuel was an Arabian ruler, so not actually one of the kings of Israel. And he's the ruler, so he's the leader of this nation, and he is passing along what his mother taught him to his son. Now, think about that. His son's going to be the future leader of the nation, right? The future king. And so he's teaching him about leadership, about how he should rule and how he should reign. Now, most of us, as far as I can tell, even though sometimes we act like it, aren't kings or queens, right? But we do have something in our life that we have authority over or that we lead. Whether you're in a family and you lead your family, your home, maybe at work you have others that you lead and uh, kind of have authority over, perhaps at school, Maybe you're a teacher, or maybe you're actually a student, and sometimes the teacher gives you a little bit of leadership. 
or you're working on a class project and you're kind of taking the lead on that. Maybe here at church, you're a lead here. I think there's something we can all learn and apply as we look at King Lemuel and what he has to teach his son. And if you're not a leader, you're like, nope, I'm a follower. You can take a nap, I guess, uh, but I hope that you won't uh, because I think there is something in here for all of us. We need followers. Not everyone should be a leader. In fact, it becomes pretty chaotic if everyone's a leader. We need followers, and we need followers who understand what good leadership looks like and can encourage their leaders to exercise good leadership. So kids, if you're listening, you can say, hey, parents, follow this example of good leadership. But we all need it, right? No matter what part of life we're in, we want to follow good leaders. And maybe one day, if you're not a leader, God will put you in a position of authority and leadership. And so you need to know how to lead well also. Now this week, we're looking at Proverbs 31, finishing up Proverbs 31 next week, and then we're going to be looking at Proverbs chapter 10 through 29. So we've looked at the front, now we're looking at the end, and then we're going to look in the center. And the center is very topical, right? Uh, The book of Proverbs, uh, it has kind of the more narrative uh, parts that seem a little bit more connected, but the center is just like a little bit of a mishmash. You find these individual Proverbs in there that are examples of what we typically think of when we think of a proverb, a a piece of wisdom, a short, pithy statement that's brief and that teaches us something about uh, how to live our lives. So we're going to be getting a taste of that today because I'm going to be preaching verses 1 through 9 of chapter 31, but then I also want to look at the broader theme of kind of kings and authority and leadership in the book of Proverbs. Because you don't want to just take one proverb out and kind of throw that at someone. You want to take all of what Proverbs has to say about a subject and kind of look at it from a multifaceted approach. And so we're going to do that today. And I've kind of distilled down what I've learned from looking at this theme in the book of Proverbs to seven leadership lessons. So we're going to be here a long, long time. It's going to be a great first kickoff to Sundays. I'm just kidding. But we're going to be looking at this. So let's dive in. What does God expect of godly leaders? Because this isn't just to any leader. This is people that want to lead God's way. So let's begin with the first lesson. Godly leaders seek godly wisdom. Look at the first two verses of chapter 31. And then we find an implied call to seek wisdom. Proverbs 31, 1 through 2. The sayings of King Lemuel, an inspired utterance his mother taught him. Now, does that just mean he was like in a really creative mood? He was inspired, or she was inspired to come up with these wisdom sayings? No, I think it means that God empowered her to give some divine wisdom. And what does she say to do? Listen. Listen, my son. Listen, son of my womb. Listen, my son, the answer to my prayers. So we hear this call to to listen multiple times. So to be a wise leader, Lemuel needs to listen, listen to God's wisdom, listen to God's words, pay attention to what his mother is teaching him. And it's the same call for us. If you're a leader, you need to listen and seek God's wisdom. Alan, in his story, he demonstrates listening well. When Alan arrives, his boss tells him, so this is the younger guy, your workspace isn't quite ready, so let me take you around to where you'll be sitting for now and introduce you to your number two. Great. I'd like to meet the other people there, too, Alan replies. Why? You'll never talk to them, the young boss says, but they'll be working for me. But, well, okay then, his boss responds with a hint of frustration in his voice. 
I'll introduce you to your number two, and he can introduce you to the others. What kind of culture is this? What kind of man is this? Alan wonders and quickly discovers he is immediately asked to restructure the whole team and ensure that he restructures a particular person, Keith, out for unnamed reasons. Alan wonders, what am I doing in a place like this? Where's God in this? Where's God in this? See, that's what we're asking when we're saying, God, show me your wisdom. Show me where you are in this situation. Because I'm having a hard time seeing it. Show me through your word. Show me through your Holy Spirit. I want to listen to you, God. So this is what we need to do. We need to take time to listen. Wisdom is more than just making the right decisions. It's listening to God and it's letting God form you to become the kind of person that makes wise decisions. You can only do this through having a relationship with God through actively seeking God himself, through seeking wisdom. Remember this call back in chapter 8? Proverbs 8, verses 15 through 17. By me, wisdom, so by me, wisdom, kings reign and rulers issue decrees that are just. By me, princes govern and nobles, all who rule on earth. I love those who love me and those who seek me, find me. So wisdom is calling out to those in positions of leadership, those rulers, those kings, come and find me. And ultimately, we know that it is a call to come and find God, to come and find God's wisdom through his word and through his ways. And if we look at kind of the big picture of the Bible, we look at the rest of Proverbs chapter 8, and then we look at a passage in Colossians, we see that Jesus ultimately embodies wisdom. Jesus is wisdom incarnate, wisdom in the flesh. And so to really have wisdom, to know how to live God's ways, you need to know his son, Christ Jesus. And if we were to take time to look at Christ and his life, we're not going to do that today, but if we were to take time to look at Christ and his life, we would see see him fulfilling all aspects of what it means to be a godly leader. And praise God that Christ does that, right? Because at the end of the day, although I can give seven lessons on wise leadership, none of us are going to walk away from here and say, ah, I can be the perfect wise leader. At the end of the day, only Christ is the perfect wise leader. And it's as we put our faith and trust in him that he gives us his perfect record. And he says, you can have my perfect leadership record. And then we're forgiven, we're holy, we're made new. And then, as we're trusting in Christ and we're following his example, and we're receiving his forgiveness for our mistakes, then we can begin to become the leaders God is calling us to be. But it starts with God's grace. And we're going to come back around to that as well. Godly leaders seek godly wisdom through Christ. Number two, godly leaders surround themselves with wise counsel. In verse three, Lemuel's mother warns him against inappropriate relationships. And so the first principle here is to flee temptation. That's pretty obvious. But I think the second is also to surround yourself with those who are wise, to surround yourself with people who want to know God. Proverbs 14, 35, a king delights in a wise servant, but a shameful servant arouses his fury. Proverbs 16, 13, kings take pleasure in honest lips. They value the one who speaks what is right. So we need people who will speak truth into our lives and speak gently. This doesn't mean that there's never a call as, as missions and on, on our front lines to go out and be around those people that aren't good leaders and aren't good influences. There absolutely is a call to do that. But as we think about those people that we want to receive kind of 
guidance for uh, the decisions in our lives and those that we lead, we want to surround ourselves with wise counsel. So we should try to hire wise employees and find wise co-workers. Now in our story, Alan listens to the wisdom in his office as he talks to people, but he also is the older leader who shares his wisdom uh, with others. So the story continues. About a month into his new role, he offers everyone in his team half an hour of his time. They can, he tells them, talk about anything, career, family, hopes, ambition, God. Most of the workers, he discovers, aren't happy in their work. The leadership is poor, the politicking rife, the appreciation non-existent, genuine interest or care for people absent. Allen's half hour opens the floodgates for genuine communication. People told me all kinds of things. One man, John, was an outstanding performer on the cusp of giving, being given more responsibility. He told me that he'd been divorced, that his daughter lived with his ex-wife, was suffering from a severe case of anorexia nervosa, and wanted to live with him. He was in tears in my office. Actually, over 50% of the people told me really quite personal things. None of them had ever had a conversation like that with a manager. See, Alan becomes the source of wise counsel for others. Who might God be calling you to become a source of wise counsel for? As a leader, we want to pass along our gift of leadership, of the ways God has taught us to lead others. And then who are you surrounding yourself with? Are you surrounding yourself with wise people or foolish people? We want to surround ourselves with wise people who can give us wise counsel. Number three, godly leaders show self-control. Now, Lemuel takes us, tells us that if you can't lead others, well, you can't lead yourself. Right? So we shouldn't start and saying, like, here's all the great people that I want to tell what to do. Well, first it starts with leading yourself and how you handle yourself. Proverbs 31, verses 4 through 5 says this. It says, it is not for kings, Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine, not for rulers to crave beer, lest they drink and forget what has been decreed and deprive all the oppressed of their rights. Now, I don't believe that the Bible prohibits drinking wine or beer, like, all the way across the board. Paul tells Timothy to take a little wine, and uh, in Ephesians it says not to be drunk, but to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So I think there's a balance there. I think what this is getting at is that uh, kings and leaders should never give themselves to things that then control them, right? We can't uh, become inebriated and not be able to lead wisely. And so we want to we show self-control in all aspects of our lives. And so we need to ask ourselves, is there something in my life that I have a hard time controlling myself about? Maybe it's not drinking. Maybe it's something else. And so, is there an area in your life that you need to ask God, God, would you help me in this area? Would, your, would you, by your Holy Spirit, come and change me? Would you bring people into my life, maybe those wise counselors that can help me make a change in this area of my life that I, I don't have much self-control on so that I can lead others well? Because when we don't have self-control in an area, and we just want that thing, we will often pursue that thing at the expense of others. And that's what we see happening in our passage, that a lack of self-control can, can lead to the oppression of the poor, the oppression of people's rights. Lack of self-control leads to injustice, maybe not at the scale of like a king and his nation for us, 
but perhaps in your family or in your career or wherever. And so we want to have self-control so that we can pursue justice. And the fourth one uh, is that godly leaders uh, pursue justice. Lemuel's mother encourages him to pursue justice for the most at risk. Proverbs uh, 31, 8 through 9 say this. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. And so what are kings called to do? They're, they're called to speak up for those that cannot defend themselves. As we lead in our families and in our, our jobs and wherever God has called us into a position of leadership, it could be on the parent-teacher board, it could be anywhere, how are you taking care of those and being extra mindful of those that are in positions of weakness and vulnerability? You know, there are many people that don't need that extra layer of protection, that extra layer of leadership. But when God raises leaders up, he expects us to be especially mindful of those that are most at risk. Justice, godly leaders pursue justice. Justice also means not using our leadership and our position to get ahead, not using it for our own benefit. Proverbs 29.4 says, By justice a king gives a country stability, but those who are greedy for bribes tear it down. <laughs> and so personal gain uh, can become the, the, the fault line uh, for unjust leadership. And then there is great reward for just leadership. So if you are someone who, who has that authority that God has given you and you seek to live God's way and, and walk wisely, there is a reward in that. Proverbs 29, 14 says, If a king judges the poor with fairness, his throne will be established forever. We know this is ultimately fulfilled in Christ Jesus, and his throne is established forever as he brings justice. He brings God's justice through the cross as, as he takes the penalty for our sins upon himself so that he can show us mercy and show us grace. And so his throne ultimately is established through justice, through righteousness. And as followers of Christ, we can bring small examples of that into our own lives as we seek to, to live and walk in a way that honors God in the places that God has given us to rule. Now, King Lemuel, he was a political leader, right? He was a king. He had the legal power to bring about justice at a nationwide level, a, a large scale that probably most of us do not have. And if you're in politics, that's great. Like, that's a way that God can be working through you to bless many people. You can use your position to protect the poor and the weak and to also not let those with wealth control you. But most of us aren't in politics, right? Uh, but we can still find ways to bring about justice on our front lines. So our front line is the place that God has placed you. Everyone has a front line. It's the place God has placed you Monday through Friday, Monday through Saturday, kind of your normal every day. Like maybe you're a teacher or you're um, a scientist or you're an employee or a student. Wherever you're spending the most amount of time around other people, that is your front line. God has called you to be someone who is a voice for justice in that place. And so let's read about Alan and his story of how he was able to exercise justice on his front line in his job. And then he tells me about Keith, the man his boss wanted to restructure out. 
I knew Keith had applied for my job and hadn't got it. He'd also applied for my boss's job and hadn't got that either. He told me that he'd been divorced, he'd had a very tough year, and he was in tears. I could see he was a man of substance, so I told him that we would look at why he hadn't got those two jobs and figure out how he could work towards the next promotion. Keith was flabbergasted. Alan also discovered that Keith was the only person in his sub-team who was client-facing. He had all the relationships. If Keith was restructured out, if he was let go, he'd go to another bank and he'd take his clients with him at a potential loss of 185 million pounds. That's $230 million, roughly. Well, when it came time for Alan to see his boss, Alan told him that unless they wanted to risk losing 185 million pounds to other banks, it would be unwise to let Keith go. As for John, the outstanding worker with his daughter uh, who was struggling, Alan asked him whether, given the difficult situation with his daughter, he would prefer, if it were possible, to be made redundant, to be let go. To Alan's surprise, John leapt at the prospect. Then Alan set about the hard and detailed task of seeing if there was a business case for such a move. Interestingly, the organizational structure that emerged turned out to be the optimal solution for the overall business. Good for John, good for the bank, and Alan commented, that's usually the case. Do right by the employees, and it will be good for all. When Alan informed John that it would all go through, he prefaced it by outlining his own priorities in life. So the things that he prioritizes. God, then family, people, community, and then work. John was hugely grateful. And as it turned out, his daughter's situation improved dramatically. Alan pursued justice in the workplace. Alan pursued justice on his front line. How might be God calling you to pursue justice where you are? Think about your situation and say, is there a place that I can be speaking up and, and, and pursuing justice? The things that please God, the things that are good for those that are poor and needy, the, the things that are right and good and true. Who might you need to speak up for or go out of your way to help? Godly leaders pursue justice. That's number four. Number five, godly leaders recognize God's sovereign lordship. At the end of the day, we can create the best plans in the world, but God is the one who is ultimately in control. I think there's a kind of a hint at that in uh, King Lemuel's mother speaking to him and saying, Paying attention, pay attention to God's wisdom. Pay attention to God who ultimately has everything figured out. Pay attention to God who is ultimately in control. And we see this in Proverbs chapter uh, 21, verse 1. It says, In the Lord's hand, the king's heart is a stream of water that he channels toward all who please him. This should be incredibly comforting to those of us that perhaps are, have, have someone over us who isn't a good leader. To say, hey, uh, this person, my, my workplace or, or wherever, this person uh, ultimately falls under God's leadership, God's control. And so I can trust in God's decision even if I can't trust in my leader at the moment. Now, a sovereign, right, a sovereign, because I talk about godly leaders recognizing God's sovereign lordship. Sovereign is a king, right, someone who rules, someone who reigns. So if God is sovereign, that means he is ruling, he is reigning over all things, over everything. There is not anything that falls outside of the jurisdiction of God. 
out of his kingdom. And that means he is leading all things, he is orchestrating all things to turn out how he wants. He can even use bad things for good purposes. As leaders, we can create the best plans, but we should always, at the end of the day, lay them before God with open palms, open hands, and say, thy will be done. And pray, God, would your kingdom come? This isn't about growing my kingdom. This is about growing the kingdom of Christ Jesus in all places. Thy will be done. At a couple different times in Alan's story, although I don't read it today, uh, there's, a, there's a couple different places where he just recognizes, you know what, I don't really want to be in this bank, in, in, this, in this position. Like, maybe he wants to be in a different part of the bank, but he doesn't really want to be doing what he's doing. But he says, if this is God's will, like, this, is, this seems to be where God wants me. If this is God's will, I want to be here. I want to be doing God's things because God, he's sovereign, right? He's Lord. Thy will be done. Let's lay our plans in God's hands. Whatever plans you have, whatever things you're leading, take a moment and just lay them before God and say, God, thy will be done. You're Lord, you're sovereign. Godly leaders recognize God's sovereign lordship. Number six, Godly leaders remember God's grace given to them. Now, several passages in Proverbs, as you look at the theme of kings and authority figures in Proverbs, they talk about the king's wrath. They talk about the king's anger and the destruction that the king can pour out. And so that's what we're supposed to do, right? When we don't get our way, we're just supposed to get angry. <laughs> no. Proverbs 19.12 says, A king's rage is like the roar of a lion, but his favor is like the dew of on the grass. Proverbs 20 verse 2 says, the king's wrath strikes terror like the roar of a lion. Those who anger him forfeit their lives. These verses, they don't model the type of leadership that we're supposed to have. We're not supposed to lead by rage or anger, uh, but they do warn us, right? They do warn us. We don't live in a society that has a king, but we do have an ultimate king, don't we? We have a lord, we have the Lord Almighty that we sang about. We have the God Almighty. And so we do have a king. Every single one of us, every human being on planet Earth has a king who feels anger and rage towards sin. Sin is anytime we disobey God, anytime we introduce brokenness into his perfection. Like we, we, sometimes we think, oh, God's not harsh. Like God's like a friendly grandpa. He doesn't mind if we do things that displease him. Well, yeah, it's like, it's like taking a, his masterpiece and just cutting it with a, a knife. That's what we're doing when we sin. We're, we're introducing brokenness into, into his beauty. And there should be a punishment for that. That should be fixed. That should be uh, restored. And praise God, we don't have a king that pours out his wrath upon us because he already poured out his wrath on someone else, on Christ Jesus. See, this is the good news. This is the gospel message that we have a king who could show us terror, who, who, who our lives should be forfeit, uh, who has the roar of a lion, but instead he shows us his favor like the dew on the grass. <laughs> and it's all because of what Christ Jesus did on the cross, that he took the penalty for our sins. And if you believe in this, you receive that gift. You receive grace. So the, so the call is then to repent of your sins, to recognize your sins, to don't be afraid of the ways that you've blown it, the, the ways that you have fallen short. Just repent and believe in Christ and receive the dew on the grass. Be, be renewed. 
And so, praise Jesus. 1 Peter 2.24 says, He himself, Jesus, he bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. See, now if we're called to live for righteousness, that means we're called to live and extend the grace that we have received. If God has poured out his mercy on you, for you desecrating his holy creation, (laughs) is there anyone that you're leading that's under you in a position of submission to your authority, whether it's your, your workplace or a family member or whatever, is there anyone that you can't extend grace to? No. See, we can all extend grace because we've all received grace. We've all received forgiveness. So think a, think a moment, take a moment and think, is there anyone in your life that, that you can show God's grace to that doesn't deserve it, just like you don't deserve it? And when that opportunity comes up this week, because I'm sure it will, <laughs> is there someone that you can show grace to when they don't deserve it? Because Christ Jesus has shown us grace. Mark Green continues Alan's story. It says, a few months later, Alan tells me, last week my team did five deals. Five deals isn't outstanding by any measure. Outstanding. And the employee engagement numbers in the team of 45 that directly reports to him are soaring. The HR department can't understand it. Alan tells them, I just talked to people. They still don't understand. It's not surprising, really. There's an assumption in some companies that caring about your staff is a nice luxury if you can afford it, but not really essential. The only thing that really counts are professional competencies and drive. Increasingly, research is showing this to be false. Still, as ever, old attitudes die hard. Doing the best thing for a business or indeed any organization ought to include doing the loving thing, the thing that humanizes, the thing that honors the other person as created in the image of God, the thing that seeks the best for them in the context they're in, tries to understand their talents, their hopes, their situation. Godly leaders remember God's grace given to them. And the last one, number seven, godly leaders lead out of love. You might not expect to find a call to lead out of love in the book of Proverbs, a call to love more deeply, but there's one in here. Proverbs 20, verse 28 says, Love and faithfulness keep a king safe. Through love, his throne is made secure. This love is God's special, loyal love, his covenant love, is said. This love is for the king uh, and for his people. It's God's love to us. And God calls us to lead out of this love, to first lead, lead out of the love that God has extended us. Say, wow, if I am loved, I want to extend that love to others. So the king and, and leaders, like, we're not supposed to, call, we're, not, we're not called to, to lead out of our drive <laughs> or our authority, or our power, or our position. We're gifted and given talents and abilities to do things, and I think it's okay to lead with those things. But ultimately, I think we're called to lead out of love, to lead out of the love that Christ has given us as he laid down his life for us. That's the greatest example of love. And so we want love to to be the kind of the, the motivating factor behind behind all seven of these leadership lessons. And so ask yourself, how can I love those that I lead? How can I truly care about them? It's not about the end goal. It's about leading them to Christ Jesus (laughs) and experiencing and extending the love that God has given me to them.
we don't have love, we have nothing. But if we have love, God can use that. The story finishes, yes, Alan had formidable international banking knowledge and outstanding problem-solving insight, but they only take you so far. It was Alan's abounding love, his soul-deep authentic care for his people, his deep desire to know what they were good at and what and what would help them be their best at this point in their lives that shaped the knowledge he sought to acquire and the range of insight he brought to the challenges they were facing. Maybe that's why God has Alan there, to demonstrate that you really can bank on love. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your goodness and for your grace and that you lead us out of love. You love us so much you sent your son Christ Jesus into the world to pay the penalty for our sins to win us our salvation. And now you want to lead us through our lives. Lord, I pray for everyone in this room that we would follow Christ, that he, we would let him lead us, that grace would lead us, love would lead us, and that you would help us extend that love and grace to others. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.